If you're a pastor or church leader, I'm sure at times it can feel overwhelming to see the amount of people in your congregation who are walking through pain and crisis right now. I wish it weren't true, but the common denominator of life is pain. And as a pastor myself, I know firsthand that another unfortunate common denominator is that pain tends to derail people in your congregation from moving with you on mission and purpose. The enemy's tactics have always been to neutralize our God-given purpose within the local church, and he frequently uses tragedy and trauma to do it. If you're like most pastors, you probably feel like you don't have the resources, staffing, bandwidth, or curriculum to address all the pain points in your church, which is why we want to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your local congregation. We developed this course as a pathway to come alongside you, help people heal inside the context of their own spiritual community, and release them back on mission within your local church. When my late wife Amanda was murdered in 2015, I wish someone had laid out a pathway that was this clear to help me and the members of our congregation move from pain to purpose. After tens of thousands of dollars spent on counseling for me and my staff, hundreds of hours of interviewing others who have walked through pain on this podcast, and dozens of hours of reading and researching everything I could get my hands on, we've finally created that pathway. And we'd love to come alongside you to bring it to your congregation in a way that's extremely affordable. If you're interested in finding out more about the Pain to Purpose course, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. I truly believe and have witnessed it firsthand that what the enemy means for evil, God wants to use to catalyze a renewed and even stronger sense of purpose within the members of your congregation. So again, if you'd like us to partner with you to make that happen, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. That's mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me are co-host Aubrey. Aubrey, great to have you. So good to be here, Davey. Today we have an interview with Dr. Adam B. Dooley. Mm. He's the pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church. Um, let's see, right outside of Jackson, Tennessee. And um, he has a story about how he and his family navigated a leukemia diagnosis with his three-year-old son. Oh, wow. Bless their hearts. Yeah. It's, um, it is heart-wrenching. And as I was listening to this entire conversation, you know, listen to him. Of course, I'm not listening to the conversation because I'm in the conversation. <laughs> but as I'm listening to him talk about this, uh, as a father, I'm just, mm. I mean, I'm crushed. I've got a, you know, I've got a, 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 at the time of this recording, a seven-year-old, an almost six-year-old, and then a, an eight-month-old. And I'm like, man, I just can't, it's so hard to imagine not just you having to pallet that, not just you having to process, you know, th this grief yourself, this, yeah. this fear, this anxiety, this worry of not knowing what the future holds for your kid right here, especially after I just kind of have walked through the season of all of the pains that it takes to bring a child into the world, right? All right. of the things you walk through right. with your spouse to bring a child into the world. And now to have this such an Ugh. unnerving diagnosis, um, but not just that, how do you then explain that to yes. a child? That's what I was just thinking. How do you say to this three-year-old, you have this thing called leukemia and you're going to have to be in a hospital for 
years. Yeah. Ooh, Such a, a disruption to a normal childhood, you know? Yeah, that's this right. This normal childhood where this kid's supposed to supposed to be running around the house and yeah. breaking things and going outside and right. falling down and skinning right. his knee and, you know, picking splinters out of his feet and stuff like that. You know, that's mm. that's what normally takes place in a, in childhood. But then there are these stories and what many of you guys that are listening have experienced where yeah. a childhood is disrupted with this um, this awful sickness. And and so, you know, that's that's kind of some things that we try to dig into. But, you know, Aubrey, uh, I know you've had some ex- experience in having mm-hmm. to walk through some medical um, diagnoses with your kids and yep. and communicating that. I just wonder, you know, what you if you have some insight into how do you help them see God <laughs> is good in this? Oh, you know, oh, you're yes. taking the complexities of this concept of, right. you know, where is God in pain and suffering? Right. And you're trying to bring those tough cookies down to the bottom shelf to help your child not run away from the Lord after this. You know, so we've got three sons. Our oldest is 13 and then we have a 10 year old and we have an eight year old and our eight year old um, was born and immediately doctors knew something was up with his spinal cord. And so he had to have uh, spinal cord surgery at six months old and then spent the next three years kind of in and out of the hospital, in and out of physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, and um, had braces. And it was a it was a big ordeal. I've almost blocked it out because it was yeah. such a big ordeal. Yeah. Now, um, he's doing awesome now, praise mm. the Lord. Um, but there are some residual effects of that. And so we have a lot of conversations with him and with our other kids about when hard, bad things happen. What does God have to say about that? One of the questions we we ask our kids a lot, hey, if you could meet Jesus today, what would you ask Mm. him? And um, Nolan, our youngest, inevitably always says, I want to know why God made me like this. Mm. I want to know why I have these struggles. And he's got some other issues as well. And... um, it's interesting. Each of my kids processes pain differently as we all do, right? Right, Based on our personality type or even our Enneagram number or just the way God made us. I'm sure you know this with your kids. So I feel like we do have to have this conversation differently with each one of our kids. Our 10 year old wants to know that um, he kind of wants the Ephesians six, like I'm putting on my spiritual armor. <laughs> I'm like, God is victorious. Yeah. Like I'm fighting. Yeah. But with Nolan, he has a lot of anxiety from the stuff that he's been through. And so mm. he just wants to know that God is with him. Wow. And so for him, we're, you know, we're constantly looking at um, scripture about Emmanuel and mm. God being with us in our pain. We're, um, we're telling him a lot of stories. For instance, he, he had to have... Um, he had to have some tests done recently. It was eight hours of testing for two days in a row. And it was really, really difficult. And I was actually in the waiting room for part of it. He came out just bawling and the women giving him his test said, we just, we need to take a break. This is too much for him today. And so I pulled him onto my lap and I said, you know, buddy, what's going on? And he was just like, I just, I I don't want, I want to go home. I don't like this anymore. I'm Mm. over this. And in that moment I was like, okay, Lord, what, is there a story you want me to tell him? Is there something you want me to say about your presence with him right now? And I felt God saying, hey, tell him about the time uh, Pops, his grandpa, took him fishing. And I won't talk about this too long, but eventually 
I felt the Holy Spirit telling me to tell him in the same way that my dad will wrap his arms around Nolan fishing and will help him reel the fishing line out and bring the fish in. That's how God is with him in that moment, in that testing. God's got his arms wrapped around him. He's right there helping him, giving him strength. And so we prayed about like, Lord, would you please wrap your arms around Nolan like the like fishing pops right now and, and be with him like his grandpa. And that gave him the strength to keep going. And so I feel like a lot of the conversation is just Holy Spirit. What do you want me to yeah, say right now? Holy Spirit, give me something right now. What yeah. about you guys? How do you well, kind of handle? I was going to say, and in, in just kind of like a, to comment on that, I think that is what every parent—that's our calling as as parents who are trying to help our kids um, come to know the Lord—is is, uh, helping to kind of um, uh, disseminate these really complex concepts mm-hmm. of God into a space that they can understand. And what that does is that, yes, that helps the child. That also helps us. Right. Totally. <laughs> it helps us when we begin to think about, because, you know, this is why, this is why Jesus talks about faith, like a child, like receiving the mm. kingdom of God through the eyes of a child where we just go, Hey, it's simple. Like I need to know that my daddy is wrapping his arms yeah. around me when I'm right. trying to, f- I need to know that. Yeah. And now I can, you know, kind of, uh, bring this this truth into this child's life too. But this is the case for whether your child is walking through a medical diagnosis or whether they're just, as they're growing up, they're walking through some difficult things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's our calling to try to bring um, into those situations, help them to frame those situations through a biblical worldview, yeah. through a biblical yeah. lens, a lens that says God is with you, you can trust him. Yeah. And, um, you know, so for us, like, I think what I'm trying to practice right now with our kids is to do what we talk about a lot. And on the podcast, let's train for the trial that you're not yet in mm, Wow! and try to just, you know, try to, um, uh, put, try to help them to have God's word tucked away in their heart yeah. so that later they can recall that. So we've just right. been, we, we have what I call devos with daddy. I got that from oh, our I friends, our friends, Daniel and Brittany Brooker. They do that too. And they do it at That's night. Awesome. We do it in the morning over breakfast table. And over the past several weeks, we've been memorizing scripture at devos with daddy. So we've been taking a scripture that we'll take for maybe a week or two weeks or something. And we just start to help the kids memorize it. They, it's fun for them. It's kind of a com- yeah, competition thing for them. And that's they feel awesome. like they're excelling. They feel good about themselves. But what this is doing is they may not remember this scripture uh, from just like if you were to sit down and ask them to recall it when they're 16 years old, but in the moment they need it, the Holy Spirit the, oh, will do something yes, to give right. them that scripture, to recall it. And so this is why scripture says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might mm-hmm. not sin against you. This is mm-hmm. not just a fighting temptation, strap on your armor. You know, This right. is not what we're necessarily just equipping our kids to do. We are saying, I've hidden my word in, or your word in my heart so that when these situations come up, I won't walk away from you. My heart right. won't be in a sinful bent. I will yeah. lean into you. I will trust yeah. and know that you are good and you are with me and you're going to take care of this as a loving yeah. Heavenly Father does. And so I think that's just, that's imperative for all of us. If you're listening to this and you're a parent, um, to, to, to impart this into your kids and look for opportunities, just like what you did. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, how can I help? My, my child understand you in this moment. Yeah, who you are in this moment. Who yeah, you are that's in this right. moment. And it'll minister to you too. It will minister, yep. no doubt, will minister to you as well. Yep. 
And I think trust as a parent that even though you hate watching your kid go through something like this, somehow God's going to use it as part yeah. of their spiritual formation yes. and their their Christ-likeness. Oh, that's so good, Aubrey. I'm so glad that you said that because just like our spiritual formation, what it, it, it is necessary that we walk through trial yeah. for us to really be formed into the image of Christ. We, we also have to understand that that's true for our children as well. That's right. And there are times that we have to go, Lord, I trust you with this. Ooh, yeah. I trust you. And that is the probably the most difficult thing to yeah. do. Um, Especially with our little ones. Oh, my goodness. You know, there's a, there's a moment in this uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Adam Dooley where you kind of just feel that shift happen mm. in the conversation where it's almost like the Holy Spirit rushes in and takes over yeah. this conversation. And, you know, you as a listener, you need to know that when, before we start each of these conversations, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to take over, that we wouldn't be saying anything about, you know, pushing our agendas yeah. or our word, but that God's word would come forward. Yeah. And this is one of those conversations you feel that shift. You feel that like, you man, do. the Holy Spirit does something and it Ooh. ministered to me as a dad. Yeah, it ministered too. to me as someone who has walked through suffering and knows that there's, there, I'm going to walk through suffering and I'm going to have to guide and shape these little minds and hearts as they're walking through suffering too. Yeah. Um, whew, it's powerful. It's powerful. So good. So let's go ahead and listen to this interview with Dr. Adam B. Dooley. Adam, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, you um, have this book that you have just recently released called When Life Unravels, and um, it's a it's a heart-wrenching story, um, and yet it's one that's full of so much hope as well. And uh, you talk quite a bit about this journey that your family has gone on. Before we kind of dive into your story and what you know took place starting way back even in 2011 era why don't you tell us a little bit about your family right now why don't you tell us a little bit about you know who what is your family comprised of how yeah, many kids sure. you guys have where you guys live what you do just give us a little background on the Dooley family yeah well my wife heather and i just celebrated our 17th anniversary come on wow. that's right uh congratulations uh, Thank you. I actually met her preaching in church uh, at her church, and that's the best place to meet your wife, isn't it? L listen, it was <laughs> it's one of those old fashioned revivals, and I tell people it's the best revival I've ever had in my life. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> she was my love offering that I got that week. So just fantastic. That's and uh, we have five children. Uh, oh. My oldest son is the focus of the book. Hope when life unravels, but I've got five total. My youngest will be two uh, in the month of uh, November. Wow. So, wow, uh, three boys and two girls. Man, and you guys, where do you live? We're in Jackson, Tennessee. I pastor Inglewood Baptist Church here. Uh, just celebrated my one-year anniversary, and uh, I tell you, just a crazy season navigating all the. COVID-19 oh, uh, yeah, pandemic. Only, that's true. And, Being there for one year, you step in and all of a sudden you're having to 
pivot yeah. and figure out how to do this thing virtually. Wow. Yeah. The second half of my first year, we start virtual church. And so wow. it's been a bit of challenge, but fortunately, it's a wonderful group of people. They have embraced us and I wouldn't want to walk through a crisis like this w- with any other group of people. So yeah. that, that's that been great. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I just, could you give me just a quick couple of things that, I mean, since this is kind of contextually where our society is right now in 2020, give me a couple yeah. of things that you uh, have, what, what have you guys done to pivot? How, how What have you learned through this whole trying to pastor a church in the midst of this crisis? Yeah, we spent uh, 13 total weeks worshiping exclusively online, and uh, we are now meeting again uh, with some restrictions, but still about two-thirds of our folks have not come back. And so uh, it has forced us to think in categories that we've never had to before. Right. Uh, we've always believed that the church isn't a building, right. but but we're living that now. Yeah. And so we've had to look for creative ways to stay connected with one another. Uh, we've had to be really creative about how we're uh, reaching people. Mm. The cool thing is that burden has shifted from uh, – primarily the leadership of the church to the entire congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way around it right now. It takes all of yeah. us if we're serious about reaching people for Christ. And so that's been hard, but, yeah. but it's been refreshing too, because we're witnessing the entire body of Christ really pick up the mantle mm. and carry the gospel to our community. We've done lots of uh, really cool outreaches uh, that have helped us with that. We, we fed uh, the people in our community for 10 straight weeks wow. uh, when our services were shut down on our campus. Wow. Uh, we gave people groceries to cover a week at a time. And just we met so many people that would never come in the doors of our church uh, through that outreach. Man, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know it's been, I know it's different for everybody in different parts of the country. And I know this has been quite a trying season for everyone. Um, but it's really cool to see how different churches, different pockets of God's kingdom and the expressions of the local church are pivoting to, to meet the needs. And you feel like you're in this tension right now, you know, you're like, yes, the church is not a building. And yet, man, we really miss everybody gathering together and just that rallying yeah. as well. It's really, it's a tension. Well, you're right. Tension's a good word for it because the church theologically is not a building, mm-hmm. and yet theologically God commands the church to gather. Mm-hmm. And wow. so we need that gathering, and uh, we, I think, appreciate that gathering much more. If you read most church growth experts, what you'll find is that people are attending church less and less. Uh, most estimate maybe two Sundays a month yeah. uh, among the most committed people. I predict that when we finally come out on the other side of this, you're going to see that shift back the other way because I think people really uh, see and appreciate the value of Mm -hmm. gathering as the body of Christ like they haven't in my generation. So uh, there's a lot of good that I think God is doing through this crisis. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Well, you know, just to to kind of segue that, you know, there is a nationwide crisis going on, worldwide crisis, but especially we feel it so much in, in our in our country. And 
the body of Christ is meant to be the body of Christ in the midst of crisis and to um, bring the gospel um, into those spaces. And you guys experienced a very acute, specific crisis as a family while you're pastoring, correct? You, while you guys That's were right. ministering and got to see the body of Christ in a different way minister to you guys in this space. Why don't you take us back and, and kind of share the timeline of your story and, and what you've written about in this book? Yeah, well, it all began back in 2011. Uh, I was pastoring in Mobile, Alabama at the time. And my wife and my two sons, that's that's all the children we had then, we had just gotten back from vacation and uh, got in late on a Saturday. My oldest son, Carson, was unusually lethargic. Uh, he did not have the energy of a typical three-year-old. And he had an unusual rash from his chin down to his collarbone. Mm. Unusual in that it was bright red, but it was completely smooth to the touch. And so uh, we got up the next morning, Sunday morning. I was headed off to church like I always uh, do. And uh, my wife said, you know, I'm not going to join you today. I think I need to take Carson to the pediatrician. And so she did. I, I went off to preach, and uh, she took him to the uh, doctor's office. And when I came out of the service, I had a text message from her that just said, hey, they're running some tests. I think you better come. And so I quickly left the service. Interestingly enough, I that morning, I had just finished preaching uh, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus mm. concluded the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. And you remember, he ends that sermon talking about two houses, yeah. one built on the sand and the other that's built on the rock. Yeah. And he says, the rain fell, the wind blew, the floods came, beat against the house. One falls, one doesn't fall mm. because it's built on the right foundation. And like so many pastors, I mean, you've yep. probably said this in your life. I told our people, hey, we're all either in a storm, yep. headed to a storm, or coming out of a storm. Yep. <laughs> and I had no idea that the biggest storm of our lives was about wow. to unfold. And so by the time I got to the doctor's office, they had uh, run some blood work. We were waiting for the results. And I remember just the tension of waiting mm. for the next hour or so. Yeah. And uh, it, you probably have moments like these in your life, but... Uh, I know I can vividly remember every detail mm -hmm. of that little doctor's office, yep. the cartoon characters on the wall, uh, the wood paneling, the smell of the room. Mm. And we sat there and I, I'll, I'll just never forget how I felt when the mm. doctor walked in and we knew something was wrong by the look on her face. And she said, it's, it's leukemia. Mm. And uh, we just froze. And then we began to weep. And wow. uh, my son was in the room with us. Obviously, he had no idea what that meant. But as we sat there and wept, he was between my legs mm. on the floor. And I remember him just rubbing my legs saying, don't cry, daddy. Everything's going to be fine, daddy. And, you know, that was just a demonstration of why we love him so much. Yeah. And so 
it was a whirlwind from there. Uh, his white blood count was high enough that he had to be administered or had to be admitted to the hospital immediately. Mm. Uh, the doctor said, you got two options. We can treat him here in Mobile or we can send him to St. Jude Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. When I asked her the difference between the two options, here's what she said. We're almost as good at treating cancer here uh, as they are at St. Jude. Mm. And the moment she said that, the decision was made, you know, because almost isn't good enough when you're talking about your babies. And so uh, we were so new to Alabama, though, I didn't even know how to get to Memphis. And um, through a series of events, we had a church member with a plane, ended up flying up there. But literally three hours after that diagnosis, we were in a plane on our way to St. Jude. Wow. Just wondering, is our son going to live or die? So that's how it all began. Man, just in a matter of hours, you guys are in a whirlwind immediately. Isn't it amazing how, you know, you you have experienced this, but, you know, for years and years you preach these passages you are trying to minister to people who are, have found themselves in the midst of pain. You're trying to put them, put yourself in their shoes as much as you possibly can, maybe not having dealt with some of the grave things that people in your congregation are dealing with. And you're asserting these things like Matthew chapter 7, where you're saying, <laughs> hey, the storms are going to hit everybody. And uh, this, is, this is the difference maker between those who not just survive the storm, but thrive in it. And those whose house falls, you know, which house are you going to be? And you're, you're preaching these messages and then boom, you are face to face confronted. Right. Do you, do you really believe this? Well, and people often ask me, what is the greatest lesson God taught you through the whole ordeal? Mm. And you just nailed it. Uh, the greatest lesson for me, people think this strange until I explain it, but the greatest lesson for me is that I really believe all the stuff I mm. teach. Wow. Uh, because, you know, I'd been pastoring for over 15 years when this happened. Yeah. I started so young. I mean, I was 17 years old when I began preaching. And so um, I've taught these things for years. I've stood beside a lot of bedsides, preached a lot of funerals. Yeah. And, and cognitively understood and knew what the Scripture taught about these matters. But until you need God to bear your burden, yeah. you don't really understand that He is a burden bearer. Yep, that's so true. Uh, and, you know, people say that. I've, I talk about this in the book. They'll say nonsensical things like, uh, God will never put more on you than you can bear. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's just hallmark Christianity right? because God does exactly that. He puts more on you than you can bear right. because he wants to bear it for you. That's right. And until you walk through that, uh, even if you understand it cognitively, you can't appreciate it in the depth of who you are. Mm. So, man, I'm praising God that on the other side of this thing, uh, we didn't lose our faith. Yeah. Uh, we're more confident. Uh, than ever in the promises of God and in the truth of Scripture. Uh, That, by far, is the greatest treasure God's given us through this valley. Wow. Wow. So you guys find yourself on an airplane. You're heading to St. Jude's. 
Um, can, can you talk to me if you can remember some, some of the just initial feelings that you and your wife, uh, maybe as you guys were processing this out loud, what, what were you feeling? What was going on in your heart? What was happening in these initial moments where you get this diagnosis, some of the fears, some of the doubts, the concerns? Yeah, well, it was, it was total despair. Uh, I wish I could tell you that, uh, I didn't ask God why, or that I wasn't angry, mm-hmm. but I did I asked that question, and interestingly enough, after writing this book, uh, I talk a lot about the book of Job. Uh, Job repeatedly asked God why and is never rebuked for it. So <laughs> that's another false notion we need to just abandon. Yeah. But I think we all kind of feel bad for asking God yeah. why. Yeah. But why do you think, I, I why do you think that is? What, I mean, what what is it about that question that causes us to you know almost feel shame for that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I hate to admit this, but I think we have so divorced uh, the reality of walking with God uh, from our church life. Mm. So many people are just playing games, and it's as much a social interaction and a cultural experience. That's particularly true here in the South, right, right. where I am. Mm-hmm. So we deal with that a lot, but... Uh, and, and so when tragedy strikes, people need the Lord and they look to the Lord like never before, yeah. but we fear stepping out of bounds mm. and losing our connection to the Lord. And so there is shame that we would doubt God because maybe that reveals that we don't really know God. Mm. Uh now, I would argue that that's when you're about to know God like never before. That's right. Yeah. But I, I don't think initially that's what we feel. Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, so much of modern Christianity is rooted in how we feel and not the truth of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So now I know better. Yeah. Uh, we can ask God why. He can handle your burden. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, if you're angry, tell him. Mm-hmm. Yell at God if you need to, uh, because He already knows that anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even though I know that cognitively, truthfully, I still feel bad about it. Yeah. Uh, w- when it comes, so my wife and I, we felt all of those things. I remember as we ascended off the runway in Mobile, I had not been the pastor there just a little over six months. And I remember thinking, things are never going to be the same. Uh, I don't even know that we can do this. I don't know if my son's going to live or going to die. And then by 10 p.m. that same day, he was in a hospital bed at St. Jude. I was signing waiver after waiver after waiver. And he was getting chemotherapy uh, into his system immediately. Wow. And so uh, I didn't sleep. for about 36 uh, hours straight there. And I remember just sitting, thinking, what's next? Why is this happening to us? And I, I had some very unbiblical thoughts, yeah. but God can handle it. He right. did handle it, you know? Uh, uh, another thing I, I thought was, you know, we're serving God. Yeah. Uh, why would God do this to us? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the reality is, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yeah, that's right. And um, one of the things I talk in in the book about is some of our trials 
they don't even have anything to do with us. If you look at the book of Job, Job was more righteous than any man on the face of the earth. And that wasn't his opinion. That right. was what God, God said, said about that. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Satan comes before the Lord. God says, have you considered my servant Job? And the accusation there, when we first read it, we think it's an accusation about Job. Satan says, well, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, Job only worships you because you give him good things, because Mm -hmm. you bless him. But if you take it away, he'll curse you to your face. And we think that's an accusation about Job, but really that's an accusation about God. Mm -hmm. What, What Satan is saying is, God, you have to bribe people for their affection. Hmm. You have to manipulate people into worshiping you. You aren't beautiful in and of yourself. It's what you do for people, not who you are that's glorious. Wow. So Satan is attacking the glory of God there. And here's the kicker. Job doesn't even know this is going on. <laughs> yeah. And you go Which through can the be whole... a little unnerving, too, to think like, wait, these are conversations that are happening potentially about me between right. God and Satan? You exactly. Know? Yeah. And, and you go through the whole book, not only does he not know at the beginning, he doesn't know at the end. Yeah. God never reveals why. In fact, when right. God finally speaks, his answer is, uh, Joe, where were you mm. when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he has a whole series of questions that follow. So the point that I'm making is Job suffered, it hurt, and none of it was about him. Mm. And so when I'm in that hospital room at St. Jude and I'm saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Uh, I serve you. I don't deserve this. Mm. Number one, I have a falsely inflated view of myself. But number two, it's quite possible that it doesn't have anything to do with me at all. Mm. It may be simply to demonstrate that the God that I serve is glorious, whether he gives or whether he takes away, Mm. which is what Job says in chapter two. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. So uh, Mm. that's what it's about. Now, in the goodness of God, he still teaches us, he grows us, he matures us through our trials. But... uh, yeah, a lot wow. of times, it's not about us. It, it's all about him. So, Adam, you know, along those lines, what would you say to someone who's listening to this right now and kind of in their heart, they're pushing back a little bit because they're, they're thinking, well, if, if, this, if suffering is befalling my life and it doesn't have anything to do with me, how could God be good? How, yeah. how could he be loving? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a question I get frequently. And, Uh, I think to understand that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Mm. In Genesis chapter 3, the fall uh, of Eden, when Adam and Eve choose to sin, uh, the curse enters the world. Not only is humanity condemned to death, but when you get to Romans chapter 8, the Bible says all of creation is groaning in pain. Because it doesn't function the way God wants it to. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, God is not our enemy. He's our only hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, as soon as Adam and Eve choose to sin, the earth is cursed, they are cursed, 
And yet what does God do in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? He promises a Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent. And if you want to understand the Bible, the whole Bible is about God sending that Savior to return humanity to its pre-fallen condition in the Garden of Eden. If you read Revelation 21 and 22 in light of Genesis 1 and 2, what you'll find is the tree of life will be there. Mm. God will be among his people again. That's what he always intended. So what I say to people is um, God's not our enemy. God is our only hope. And and it is true that not all trials are about us because Satan wants to steal God's glory to prevent his redemptive plan from unfolding in our lives. Uh, Jesus has purchased salvation on the cross. All Satan can do now is rob us of receiving the gift that is available through God's Son. I also say to people, there's never a dichotomy between God's glory and our good. Mm. So it's true on the one hand that all of our trials aren't necessarily about us, but it's also true on the other hand, even when it's not about us, God still redeems our trials, and God still works through our trials, Mm -hmm. and he works it for our good. I got a whole chapter in the book about some of the good that God brings out of our suffering. And in his providence, he does that even though he's the primary target. So really, we're shielded by the fact that it's not about us. Can yeah. you imagine how horrible it would be yeah, if wow. we were the target of trial and suffering? Wow. But God shields us, and He still brings good out of our suffering, mm. uh, even though He's the target. Man, wow, that's so good. This interview, like most on our podcast, is filled with pain that eventually led to purpose, but only after intentional recovery. Oftentimes we mention counseling as a resource that we recommend to use as a part of any recovery process. I can't even begin to tell you how valuable Christian counseling has been for me as I learned to navigate the loss of my late wife, Amanda. And since then, it has proved just as beneficial for Christy and I as we're learning to create healthy and healing rhythms for our life. Christy and I have decided in the wake of COVID-19 to try another type of counseling that doesn't involve in-person meetings. So we have partnered with an incredible online worldwide organization who is sponsoring this podcast, Faithful Counseling. They provide virtual counseling with licensed therapists who are certified by their state's boards to provide therapy and counseling. Faithful Counseling is designed as a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you are seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing believer, faithful counseling may be a great option for you. Once you are matched with a counselor, in 24 hours or less, you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile device, through video calls, phone calls, or even text messaging. They also have weekly group in our sessions where members can learn in a group environment with a counselor about various topics that we all face. 
Just to clarify, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, but it can be an incredible resource during your healing journey. Faithful Counseling costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available to those who qualify. You can apply for that aid during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. If you sign up through that link only, you will receive 10% off of your first month of counseling for being a part of the Nothing Is Wasted family. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. And now back to our interview. Talk to me a little bit about you know, your perspective as a father um, and maybe even you know, as, as you've had conversations with your wife, her perspective as you guys are watching your three-year-old and then, you know, obviously the next, for the next three years, he's under this intense treatment with leukemia. As you guys are watching him undergo this and suffer and knowing that you can't really do anything to help. Yeah, it, it was terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, when we first started the journey, I uncovered a statistic that about half of the parents who began a journey with their children through pediatric cancer ended up divorced before the journey was over. And I think that just speaks to the stress and the trauma that uh, comes with that. The hardest part of it, and you know this as a dad, you want to take that burden for your son. And uh, you can't. You're helpless. By the way, you want to talk about seeing and appreciating the gospel mm. in that moment. Yep. It's Come exactly on. what God the Father did for right. us. He gave his only begotten son, and he yeah. couldn't take the burden. His son had to walk through that. And so I'm looking at my son, and I'm seeing the gospel played out in him. Yeah. And everything in me wants to take this burden from him. But I want to go back. Uh, to that first night that we were there. I'm signing those waivers. I'll never forget this. They were trying to put needles, uh, an IV in Carson's arm, and he'd he'd never had that. Mm. He was panicked. There were four nurses trying to hold him down as he screamed Mm. violently, make them stop. Daddy, please get me out of here. Mm. And in that moment... I knew what I had to do. I went over to his bed and I just laid down in the bed on top of him. Mm. And my forehead was pressed to his forehead and we were eye to eye. And big crocodile tears were coming down his face. And he said, Daddy, please get me out of here. Mm. And I knew what was about to happen uh, and it was all I could do to garner the strength to do it. And I, I said to him, Carson, daddy loves you, but you need to be here even though you don't want to be here. And I want you to trust me. And I grabbed his little arms and I held them down as they forced that needle into his arm and listened to him scream. Wow. And I just began to weep uncontrollably. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit impress my heart to say, you need exactly what he needs. 
you need this trial just as much as he needs this trial. Will you trust me to give you what you need instead of what you want? Because the cry of my heart was the same cry my son was making to me. And I just felt the peace of God saying, trust me, let me walk through this with you. And that was really a turning point. We had lots of ups and downs, but from that moment, I knew, you know what? God's going to use this. God's going to walk with us through this. Mm. I even, a few months after that in my prayer time, felt God saying to me, I'm going to heal Carson, Mm. but I'm not going to do it supernaturally because remember where we began. You need this journey, Mm. and I'm going to teach you to trust me. And I believed it so much that I stopped praying for his supernatural healing, and I began to pray for endurance from that point forward. And God showed himself faithful. He walked with us, and he he proved to me, I I can trust him. Wow. And uh, I, I will tell you, we'll never be the same as a result of that. Wow. Man, I just imagine, you know, just seeing yourself in a mirror right there as you're face to face, you know, with your son. And then, yeah, you know, your heart's crying out, God, get me out of this, get me out of this. And, and God's right. going, no, we're going to walk through this. But you, right. But and and I me. think just to encourage those who are listening, I, I think that's what God does in our trials. Yeah. None of us would choose the path of suffering. I mean, right. I'm familiar with your story and I, I can't even imagine the horror of it. Yeah. And I know you wouldn't have chosen that path. Right. But ironically, what happens is we we look back and we learn to thank God for it. I yeah. I would never make my son walk through that again. Yeah. But I am so grateful for the good gifts that God gave us along the way. Yeah. I am so grateful for uh the the knowledge of Christ that I have in yeah. the and I'm not talking about in my mind I'm talking about in the depths of my being in Philippians chapter three that's what Paul says he says I count all things as loss they're they're rubbish to me yeah. so that I may know Christ so that I might receive Christ right. he is the reward that's it yep and and Paul wrote that in pri- he was in prison yeah and <laughs> what Paul's saying is Hey, my trials, yeah, I'm not going to diminish them, but yeah. they're worth it. Yeah. I wouldn't choose this. But if getting Christ yeah. is a trade-off, I'll take that every time. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I think yeah. I think oftentimes people, they can look at kind of the upside of, of your story or my story. They see the end result. They see re- kind of redemption, if you will. With, you know, me remarrying and blending a family and, you know, this ministry that God is unfolding that's helping people out of the pain and the sorrow that we walked through. And they're like, wow, I'm looking forward to that reward after I move through this trial. And I try to help people understand exactly what you were just saying is that no, 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 no. Like that's just, that's just the icing on the cake. That's right. The cake is Jesus. The cake is Christ. The the reward right. is Christ. And and if anybody in their heart would go, well, that doesn't seem like that's all. Like that's what we get. You're not you're not understanding Christ. Well, <laughs> and, and that is exactly why we need trials. That's right. Because we can understand that. Yep. 
apart from trials. Wow. You you cannot appreciate that Christ is enough. That's it. Yep. Until he is all until that you he have. becomes enough for you, right? There. Yeah, exactly. Right, Oof. right. And wow. so, I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for me to mention the fact, and I talk about this in the book too. Not everyone that walked through this journey with us mm. emerged with a healthy child. Mm. Now, I'm thankful to say my son, uh, he will soon be 13 years old, and we are praising God for his full recovery. But I mentioned two friends in our book who lost their children, Uh, a beautiful uh, four-year-old little girl and a beautiful five-year-old little boy. And here's the deal. God was just as faithful to them as he was to my family. And I almost shudder when I say that uh, because... I cannot know the depth of their pain. Yeah. Uh, every trial is different. And, uh, you know, your trial may be different than mine, but that doesn't mean it's not important mm-hmm. because God works and teaches us through all trials. But mm-hmm. in every trial, God is faithful. If we will look to him instead of running from him, we will find him to be faithful and we will find him uh, to be enough. Uh, one of those families that I'm referring to uh, that lost their their daughter received Christ mm. as a result of her illness. And that that illustrates the, the point. We don't know what God's doing. Yeah. But what we can know is that he's faithful and that we can trust him and yeah. that he is enough. And so that's why you can't focus on the result of the trial. I don't want anybody to hear me saying, if you'll just trust God, everything will turn out okay. Well, no. You read the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Some people hid in caves. Some people were sawn Sawn in two. The Bible says the world wasn't even worthy of them. Right, right. But by and by, (laughs) when the morning comes, Mm. that is when we find out it was all worth it. Mm. And I suspect we're going to spend a lot of time in eternity rejoicing Mm -hmm. over the things that God said no to us about on this earth. Yeah. Wow. Once it becomes, it becomes clear to us, his purposes, his perfect purposes become very clear to us. The second we look Jesus in the eye, I get to spend eternity rejoicing. I want to underscore what you said there, this idea that, you know, you'd never wish this trial on, on anybody. But at the same time, um, I heard Elizabeth Elliot say this. I read it in a book shortly after my wife was killed. I re- she said, I would never wish this on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. And I didn't understand that. I was like, right. I don't, I'm not there yet. I don't under- no, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm ready to trade this. But as the journey has has gone on as we've walked through this and, and the intimacy and closeness that I've experienced with God in those moments that now I'm envious of, you know, now as I'm kind of in a different season of life, I'm going, man, I miss the really deep places that God met me and, and this feeling of just being right there with him and him right with me. It's true. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't trade it. Well, and you realize that you would have never gotten there Right. Apart from the trial. That's right. Yeah. And that's why you won't 
traded. And, and there are going to be people uh, that don't understand that, you know, and you have to, the only way that you can understand that kind of perspective is with kingdom eyes, with the eyes of eternity. Right. You know? That's exactly right. And the scripture assures us that the sufferings of this time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory yeah. that is going to be revealed in us. And the problem is most of us just don't believe that. Mm-hmm. We just don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, this is going back to a point that we made earlier, but I think this is one of the ways that God redeems our suffering. Even if it's not primarily about us, God is gracious to take our pain mm-hmm. and give us the eyes of eternity. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've made investments in eternity. You have a wife mm-hmm in heaven that you will see again one day. And uh, I have friends who have children in heaven who are more eager to be with the Lord because their children are there. And that's a gift. Uh, and, and, And God helps us to see with the eyes of eternity. And that's just one example. There are dozens of things like that. And I think it's important for us to also say that we need some humility when we talk about these things. Uh, I know God works through trials. I'm confident because of Scripture that I know some of the ways that He works. Mm. But I also want to be quick to admit, along with Paul and Romans 11, we can't comprehend the mind of God. Yep. We can never exhaust the purposes of God. Yeah. So I think another exciting thing about eternity is going to be finding out, yeah. oh, you thought this was just about that. <laughs> Let me show you the big picture. That's good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. and, and so uh, I've learned just to appreciate those things and rest in those things yeah. like yeah. I could not have done before we walked through our valley. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think often when when I was younger and used to think about eternity and before tragedy struck my life, I would be like, man, eternity seems like a long time. Are we never going to get bored? Yeah. Now, as you know, even as you're saying this, it, it becomes very clear that God is going to reveal the mysteries of himself to us. And we're going to have so many of these aha moments that it goes on for eternity that we never right. get bored of seeing more clearly the character of who God is and that and he's inexhaustible, you know? Right. And right. that's, what's going to be so exciting about, you know, it we get to, we get to taste those things sometimes in corporate worship settings or in moments where we're reading scripture and just jumps off the page. And there's this like, Oh, wow. This very near present help, uh, right. that we've, that we sense and feel, but we're going to experience that perpetually. Perpetually. Yeah. Eternity. And, and, and that's a good point too, because there are, there's these glimpses of that, yeah. which we normally associate with uh, joy yeah. and the the good seasons of life. So marriage, for example. Right. I mean, marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And yeah. so we get to get a little glimpse of eternity there and what that's going to be like. We all understand that. But I have a chapter called The Dark Side of God's Love in this mm. book where I talk about the fact that this is also true about our trials. Yeah. Trials are a glimpse of eternity. They they point us to eternity wow. because they force us to look in places that we would not look. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I just trust and appreciate 
the goodness of God in every season of my life. And I'm thankful my son doesn't know that he gave me that gift. Mm. Uh, but in some ways, he has taught me more about the Lord than I will ever teach him wow. because of what he went through. Wow. Over the course of those three years that he was uh, receiving this treatment, uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the the ups and downs. That I mean, I'm sure there were moments where like, okay, he's everything's going to be good. He's in remission or he's, you know, looking in that direction. Right. And then times where kind of you get another, another kick in the face. Yeah. There were two kicks in the face I'll tell you about. And it was very much what you just described. There's highs, there, there are lows. Uh, pediatric leukemia is such that they try to jolt a child's system into remission. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes about six weeks. And, by God's grace, Carson went into remission six weeks after he began chemotherapy. But they also know that if they stop chemotherapy, they will quickly relapse. So that's why he had to be treated for nearly three years. And so um, after he went into remission, obviously that was a high point and we're riding that. And then the first kick came when a little girl who stayed with us at the Memphis Ronald McDonald House passed away unexpectedly. Oh, man. Uh, she was in our clinic. Uh, Carson played with her every day. We'd gotten to know her parents. Uh, these were friends that we saw every week. Uh, you know, I should mention, we, we after he went into remission, we flew from Alabama to uh, Memphis every week for 128 straight weeks. And we saw these people every week that we were there. And then the little girl passed away, not from cancer, but from a fungal infection. And because of our closeness with them, I was asked to preach her funeral. Mm. And I remember standing over her tiny little casket thinking, that could be my son. And... It was paralyzing. We went from, we're going to beat this, to we'll never beat this. This will define us for the rest of our lives. And I think that is one of the challenges of adversity. It blinds us to eternity. Even though the long-term consequence is it helps us long for eternity Mm -hmm. in the moment we're blinded to it and it feels Mm -hmm. like our trial will never end and it's our new reality it's what defines us which is not true but that's how the enemy works and so oh i wrestled with that and really went into a time of depression uh, for several months after she passed away and uh, when we slowly began to come out of that uh, valley uh, I, I'll never forget. I was, uh, in Memphis with my son and, uh, I had a letter that someone wrote to me and it, it, it said personal across the front. So I opened it up and began to read, uh, my practice is I, I never read anonymous email. And mm-hmm. so because it said personal, I didn't even look to see if there was a signature, there was not. But it was someone from the church I was pastoring who wrote and, and said that God had given my son cancer because of the music that we were singing in our church. And they did not 
care for it. And so their conclusion was, God's punishing you, which, by the way, is the attitude of a lot of people. Mm. Uh, I got a chapter in the book about uh, Job's friends. And here's the reality. A lot of people will pretend to be sympathetic when you're hurting, but secretly they're rejoicing that you're hurting because it makes them feel better about their own plight. And uh, I'm convinced in hindsight that that is what motivated this particular individual. But at the moment, it was a gut punch. And so I'm not only wrestling with, I got to do everything I can to keep my son alive. I went through a period where I wrestled with, do I even want to be a pastor? If, If this is how the people I serve are, do I... Do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And, you know, in those moments, I kept returning to God's call on my life to serve Him. And thankfully, God showed me, again, this is a positive byproduct, but God showed me that uh, that call was sure and that His will for my life had not changed and wow. that I don't serve Him for the applause or approval of people. Wow. I serve him as a demonstration of faithfulness to him because he's glorious no matter the outcome. Mm. Uh, and so God just added a depth to my service to him mm-hmm. through that. But we, we just kept having these mountaintops and these valleys really throughout the entire three years. Wow, wow. You know, Adam, if someone's listening to this and, and they recognize, feel even a little bit of conviction in their own heart, recognize times where they've felt that way towards someone mm-hmm. else's suffering, you know, even even if it's just subtle, this like weird, subtle, deep feeling of, oh, good, your suffering makes me feel better about my plight, as you said, right? right. How do we combat that? It's tough uh, because I think we all have that natural inclination. Uh, You'll remember in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a story about a tower in Siloam that fell. Mm -hmm. And he basically says to those he's teaching, do you suppose that you were more righteous than these? Mm. In other words, do you think tragedy happened to them because they're sinners and it didn't happen to you because you're righteous? And then he answers, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what I constantly have to do is remind myself of the gospel. (laughs) I constantly have to remind myself that my righteousness is filthy rags. And I'm not more deserving of God's grace than anyone else. Mm. Um, I also have come to believe that... I need to practice rejoicing with people in their victories Mm. as much as I hurt with them in their trials. Wow, that's so good. Because I used to think a a true friend was someone who would weep with me. And and granted, true friends will do that. But I have come to believe it, it takes a much greater commitment to rejoice with other people in their victories Mm. as if they were your own. you got to be really secure in the Lord to do that. I I have to be secure in Jesus to look at you and say, brother, I rejoice with you because God's doing something so great in your life. He's not doing that in my life. That, That takes a real commitment. And so 
to keep myself honest, if I'm unable to do that, chances are I'm probably secretly rejoicing when bad things befall others because I'm believing the lie that that means I'm somehow more righteous than they are. And it's just not true. Wow. Wow. In some ways, you know, that celebration of something that happens in someone else's life can be an antidote to this comparison trap that we find ourselves in. Yeah, it it is an antidote, and it works both ways, thankfully, because if you can rejoice in someone else's victories, you can also rest Hmm. in your personal trials because it sets you free from the trap of, oh, God's mad at me. God's punishing me. Hmm. Now, granted, I understand Sometimes God chastens us, and He wants to correct us from a wayward path. But I will tell you, there's been a lot of pain in my life that was not the result of my personal sin. Hmm. Maybe sin in general back in the Garden of Eden, but not my personal sin. And if you're going to trust God during those moments, you you have to believe He is not in heaven anxious to hurt you Hmm. or to punish you. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> he he wants to, as a loving father, walk with you and redeem your suffering. And if there are times where you need correction, he wants to do that for your good, mm-hmm. but but not not to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, as a dad that walked through cancer with his son, I can tell you, uh, I wasn't mad at him mm-hmm. when cancer befell him. I wanted everything, I wanted to do everything in my power to take it from him. Now that he is a teenager, I have to lovingly correct that same son. Mm. And I look at him, and my commitment to him as a father is no different now than it was then. Yeah. Uh, even when he disobeys, uh, my frustration is because I love him and I want what's best for him. And you know what? That that was the frustration I felt when he had cancer. I loved him, and I wanted what was best for him, and I wanted to do everything I could to protect him. Yeah. I think that's the heart of God in every trial that we face. And you have to you have to be really mature, and you have to have peace in wow. order to accept that wow. when you walk through valleys. Wow. You, you mentioned earlier the statistic about marriages— um, that end typically before the treatment is done. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm really curious as to, you know, what, what were some things, if there were that you and your wife did intentionally, or, you know, can you kind of comment, commentate a little bit on what that looked like for you guys to make sure that your marriage was back to Matthew seven, it was grounded and firm on the rock when this storm hit your life. Because I'm sure there's so many people who are experiencing that and dealing with that right now in the, in the midst of their trial. Yeah. Uh, I think that the biggest thing that we did, and I don't even know that we did this on purpose, but by God's grace, we shouldered the burden together. Mm. Uh, we did not carry it alone and keep it from one another. And so we talked regularly about how we were feeling, and uh, the challenges. Interestingly enough, my wife 
became pregnant with our third son right in the middle of all of this. Oh, wow. And I remember when she found out she was pregnant, we both wept Wow! because we thought, we can't do this. We were traveling to Memphis every week. Yeah. We can't have a newborn in the house. Uh, but that weeping together is how we handled yeah. everything yeah. throughout the three years. And her having another baby actually turned out to be a healthy distraction, mm. which gave us joy that we could share together. So what I would encourage your listeners to do is, is simply this. Whenever we face difficulties, our tendency is to retreat inwardly mm. and suffer alone. Wow. Uh, we... We shelter ourselves even from the people that are closest to us. What combats that is if we open our lives and we share together those intimate moments of pain uh, that we are feeling. Because it's, again, it's not just the highs that build intimacy in a marriage, it's the lows that communicate, I trust you enough to bring you in. And so I think. Suffering alone is a mistake that a lot of people make. Mm. But just like highs and lows bring you closer to God, Mm. highs and lows have the potential to bring you closer to your spouse if you respond the right way. Now, I do want to say, I'm I'm saying all of this in hindsight. Mm. In the heat of the moment, I don't know that I realized these things. (laughs) And I don't want to come off as an expert on that. But I, I can just tell you, we grew closer together rather than apart from one another during that time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the experience is the best teacher and you're kind of just trying to figure things out as you're going through it. But there's somebody I'm sure right now that just heard that and they have been trying to carry this by themselves. And, you know, this is an invitation for you to go and talk to your spouse and open up and, or. Well, and if you, if you allow yourself to suffer alone, what the enemy will do is he will take the burden and he will take pieces of it uh, and cause you to cast blame on your spouse for it. Wow. So, so for example, when my wife became pregnant, before that, we were taking turns flying to Memphis every week. Yeah. So we were alternating. Well, she could not fly to Memphis uh, when she was pregnant. And so I began going every week. And it would have been really easy for me, secretly and erroneously, yeah. to blame her for that. Because I was physically and emotionally exhausted, and you know the enemy would say, "Well, you know, if if she weren't pregnant, if y'all weren't having this baby, as if she's the only guilty party in yeah, the creation right, of right, that baby." Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but that's what the enemy does. Yeah. And so instead of that, I we just we just talked openly, and mm-hmm. we we shared that, and I learned she was just as burdened to not be going. Mm as I was burdened to having to go every week uh, without her. And so God was really, really gracious in those moments Mm. to help us get through it. Man, man, Adam, this, this has been an incredible conversation. I've got one more question because as you know, I'm just curious as someone who's in ministry, how has this changed the way you do ministry? How has this changed uh, or shifted your calling or your purpose or how you approach it? If it hasn't, yeah. Well, I would say it's changed 
almost everything about my ministry. Uh, number one, going back to where we started, I know I believe what I teach. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never really wrestled with doubts, but there is a depth to what I say yeah, now that did not exist that, before. Yeah. There's a conviction. That's right. Mm. There's also an empathy for my people that mm. did not exist before. So rather than counsel them through their pain, I'm able to enter their pain with them. Mm. And that wasn't there before. Yeah. Uh, and I pray that God protects me from ever being a know-it-all yeah. with the people that I serve. Um, I, I really have learned that sometimes it's it's better to be present and say nothing hmm. uh, than it is to give answers for the questions that people don't even know that they're asking. Wow. And, and so uh, I, I'm grateful for the people in our lives that did that for me, and I believe it's helped me uh, to do that with the people I serve now like I was unable to do before. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Well, the book is called When Life Unravels. I want to strongly Ho- encourage... Oh, go hope When Life Unravels. Oh, Hope When Life Unravels. Yep. I'm right. sorry. Hope When Life Unravels. And right. I want to encourage everybody to... Um, to go and, and get a copy of that, pick that up. We're going to have an easy link for you guys here on the, on the show notes, the podcast page to be able to, to snag that. But Adam, where can we follow more of, of you and your life, your family? Yeah. If you visit adamdooley.org, uh, that's my personal webpage. You can listen to sermons there. Uh, I have a blog there where I write about different topics. I've even written about a number of things that happened during our cancer battle that didn't make it into the book. So Mm. check that out. And if this discussion has been helpful to you, maybe those resources will be as well. That's great, man. Well, I know it's been helpful to me. You've encouraged my heart through this discussion. So thank you so much again. Hope when life unravels and uh, Adam, just, I appreciate you spending the time with us. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed that conversation with Adam. Uh, so good. Whew. He and I were actually texting afterwards, and he said that that was one of his favorite conversations to have about this as well. And it was just oh, it was very did? touching to to do to just hear that from him. Yeah. Um, I felt like the Lord really showed up powerfully, and you know, for both of us in our hearts as we were doing that. That's and great. if the Lord showed up powerfully for you, we'd love for you to go and rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Um, it certainly ministers to us to hear your review and, and your take, your perspective on this podcast. I actually have a review I want to read. Oh, do read, do read. Yep, I'd love that's to a good hear one. It. I grew up in Indianapolis and went to North Central High School. I heard about Davy's wow. story when I was in nursing school in Atlanta. I followed his story and started listening to the podcast when it began. I find this podcast mm. so valuable for life lessons and everyday life. I have never personally experienced a significant trauma in my life, but I work with a lot of people who have. I am a hospice nurse and I find this podcast so helpful in learning about trauma and how pain and suffering impacts people and most of all, how God redeems. My husband is a therapist and works at a treatment center for young men who have suffered trauma. I love this podcast and find so much value in it. Thank you so much for this. Wow. That is a great review. That's powerful. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, they're both, she and her husband, both on the front lines of doing ministry in spaces that would be unconventional ministry, but they're doing it. And it's just, thanks so much for whoever wrote that review, because it's an honor to be able to be a part of equipping you to do that ministry. Yeah, 
yeah. um, as we're trying to bring these stories your way. So thank you. Wow. Yep. So good. Hey, you can follow us on Instagram at nothing is wasted ministries. You can follow Davey at Davey Blackburn and you can follow me at Obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. And we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Go and listen to his music anywhere you can stream or download music. And next week, we have a conversation with Sheila Wise Rowe. And I this love is, her. This is part of our continuing conversations about racial reconciliation. And uh, so you're not going to want to miss this particular conversation. She's got incredible things to say about it. I think it's very appropriate that her middle name is Wise. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> That's right. Yep. yep. So why don't you listen to this little clip? from Sheila Wise Rowe. In terms of the racial trauma stuff, it really happened very early on for me mm. and just being a part of the busing program in Boston and um, being in a pre-official busing program called Operation Exodus and, uh, and experiencing just the shock of being plucked out of a um, an all black school and into a mostly white school and where I think there may have been 20 black students in the whole school, if that. And um, this is a primary school. So this was like from grade one okay. yeah. and just uh, experiencing just absolutely a sense of that I'm not accepted or acceptable. And my you know intellect was attacked. I um, experienced all sorts of a lot of it was from the teachers and then also some stuff from the students, but just this sense that I wasn't competent and that I wasn't good enough. And, um, and I felt it, I was not welcome there. <laughs>